These are Grindstaff publishing audio files. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Grindstaff publishing podcast. It is currently 9.35 on a Friday, September, let's see, October um, 2nd. Well, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Um, hopefully you listened to the um, previous chapter, chapter three, um, Finland and Room to Rome. Um, this chapter, um, not only, you know, goes into the obvious detail of talking about Finland and my time there, which is all of, uh, about a day, day and a half, two days, um, or probably three days actually. Um, but it also talks about maybe the first time I thought about writing a book about, you know, anything like this, because up until then I had toiled with the idea of, of writing my you know, kind of a, a memoir-esque thing about my time in Alaska, fishing commercial in Alaska. But it wasn't until um, I was, um, my friend Michael and I were reading the story, we're traveling from um, Finland to Sweden on a ferry that I started like jotting down notes and thinking, oh, this might be really important actually to, to you know, to document this for my future kids or whatever. And it was starting to kind of take shape into that mom well, this, this is probably important so this chapter is really important for my my personal you know journey but also it talks about um you know really a lot of diversity because um i alluded to it in the last podcast um after chapter two um and how um michael and i went from iceland and then we just got hammered drunk and then we um we got in a plane and then arrived in Helsinki, Finland, and then our uh, my bag got lost. So this chapter talks about that, really. And so kind of going in deeper into it, um, like I said in the last podcast, I packed way too much stuff. The The bag weighed, I, I should have weighed it because it's so ridiculous, but it, it must have weighed at least, you know, at least 80 pounds, if not more. And it was huge. I mean, I, I probably could have crunched up and fit and fit it um, and fit into it, even though I'm like six three, but scrawny six three. Um, and so I had all this stuff I didn't need. And then we went to you know Iceland, and then it got, was cumbersome and troubling and all that stuff, and it just didn't fit anywhere. And then you know in our in our hungover, drunken stupor at the, the morning going from um, Iceland to Finland. I would just like, you know, in those days and be like, oh, I, I saw this place where it's an oversized luggage and, oh, I can just put my bag in there and then we'll be fine. And so I just put it in there. I, I, I watched the guy, um, you know, put put my information on the bag and then put it on a conveyor belt to God knows where. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I I know it was getting processed or it had been processed, but I didn't care. We, we, we made the flight. We were going to Finland. Next stop. After a short nap, we wake up in, in Finland and, you know, I, you know, we're, we're just kind of zombies and we're just looking at this conveyor belt going around and around. And then, you know, Michael, get hit, Michael gets his bags, the conveyor belt goes around, most people go away. So probably like, you know, 20% are still hanging around looking for their own bags. Then those people go away after another, another rotation of the conveyor belt. 
And then once the conveyor belt stops, signaling that there's no more luggage, there is um, me and then two other women um, just looking at one another like, um, I guess our bags aren't coming. And we go to the, the, the lost luggage desk, which no one ever wants to go to. And I've never gone to in my life. And then I come to find out my bag was lost. So it, basically it got deemed question mark. Um, it, you know, it just didn't get on the plane. Essentially what happened. So it could have been, you know, anywhere. As soon as I dropped it in there into the um, Reykjavik I, I, airport's oversized luggage place, from there it could have gone anywhere. Could have been on, on a plane somewhere. Could have been anywhere. And so basically I was fucked and, um, you know, I had like, I was like, was burning, burning, like, you know, just envy at, at Michael for being a better traveler than me, you know, pain and like, you know, embarrassment for losing my bag so early in the trip. It's only day three. And so all this stuff was happening and like, there's tears in my eye, like there's like tears welling in my eyes. And I was like, no, I can't. I, I can't cry in front of this woman. I can't cry in front of Michael. I can't cry in front of anybody. This is my deal. This is this is the first real setback I, I've had in this trip, and hopefully it's the worst. So I just tried to buckle up, you know, pull, pull my, my pants up and just be like, hey, let's just do this thing, you know, cover my ass and just let's just, just get it. Ah, tasty. Um, and then we go out into the sunlight, and luckily I have my my kind of my my overnight backpack situation that my mom made me get at um at a at our outdoor outdoor retailer here in America and and I just felt so stupid but I had this bag and so in it was um was my super nice camera um thank god um super nice camera you know a change of a shirt um a change of uh, undies and some socks and then I had um my, uh, my little tablet I brought and the charger and that was basically it. Um, I mean, you know, passport obviously, um, and ID, but that was it. I mean, I, I went from having so much stuff, like just unnecessary stuff I didn't need to going down to a bag that could have been used for like, Oh, I'm just going to go over to this hotel and then leave the next morning kind of thing. So it was very lucky and thank God for mothers because they always know best. Listen to your mom. Because um, when she hits a fan, the moms are, are going to be right. So I know at least my wife is always right with, with my kids. So holds true. So there we are. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Michael's just like, let's just calm down. Let's just get to the damn hostel. Let's just get our bearings. And so, we, we you know, we're in this beautiful new place. Helsinki is gorgeous. Um, the, the Cold War era buildings down, you know, more in like the downtown area of Helsinki are just beautiful in their own way. And we come across, you know, and we keep going, going, going. We follow um, <clears throat> uh, Michael's um, phone map. And we come across this gigantic, you know, crazy stadium. And I guess I just never thought about it or put it together or whatever happened. But I was like, oh, when they, when they say the, the uh, Helsinki Olympic Stadium, Hostile, they literally mean the Olympic stadium that was used in 1952 for the Olympics. And so it's just this big, very kind of Cold War looking, you know, white, black, you know, there's, there's a little bit of curve, but a lot of straight lines and a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, oppression in, in it. And so we find this hostel, we get in there and um, not to be stereotypical or whatever kind of thing you want to talk about. But we get there and they're just big, hairy guys. We think they're, you know, Russian guys, Eastern European guys. I mean, granted, we are 
in Finland. So we are super close to, close to Russia. So they, they can be there as much as we can. Um, but just big old hairy guys just wandering around with like, you know, some guys are naked. Some guys are just like, you know, and just, you know, a towel or whatever, hanging out, hawking and just super harsh accents. And so we finally find our bunks and we're just like, oh man, we're so tired, just super exhausted. And we just like, the only thing we want to do is get food. You know, it's, um, it's still the morning, but like we just can get lunch and let's just get this thing figured out. Um, that day was basically spent with just like, you know, finding lunch, you know, going to a market and getting me the basics like deodorant, which is kind of cool because, you know, it gave me a chance to, you know, just to, to buy personal things that go in my body, go in my body, you know, the toothpaste and deodorant and that kind of stuff. And I got to do it and, and like, and like buy European stuff. And so looking back, it was kind of cool. And it was the first time I got to use a Euro because, um, you know, they, they use Euros in Finland, which I did not know. Um, they're the only Scandinavian country out of the five that uses, that uses a Euro that doesn't use their own unique currency. So, um, got to use a Euro for the first time. Um, I guess besides the first time I went up in the, in the, in the church in Iceland, but that's just a different story. Um, and so there, there we were, I basically carried my, my little day pack everywhere cause I had everything on it. It had my, it had my entire life on my back. Um, and, and, in in the book, I, I referenced George Strait. Hopefully you know who that is. It's a classic, um, country Western musician, George Strait from the, you know, eighties, nineties kind of thing. And there's a great song called Amarillo by morning. Basically it's about a cowboy, a rodeo cowboy that travels, travels, travels. And, you know, basically he spends his days, you know, traveling, playing, you know, playing, um, you know, music shows, festivals on stuff in, in the rodeo situation and then riding Bronx. And basically he says, um, everything that I got is just what I got on. And so sorry for the singing, but you know, basically he's just saying that he's a vagabond and, um, you know, once, once we got our bearings, once we got back to the hostel for that night, we're like, okay, like we can do this. I got this. You know, I started thinking about like, I'm just going that pure, like that pure vagabond, Jack Kerouac, you know, that, that, you know, vagabond, American vagabond thing. And it really got me through it because I started like, I guess, romanticizing it. And again, I, I never really thought about this and just till I was reading the chapter over again and how much Finland really shaped the book they would come to be the book because I, before this, I was just like, yeah, I just want to go and whatever. So, um, the next day, um, you know, because, because of the lost luggage, I had to, uh, I had to wait. Um, they, they said that Iceland air had two weeks to contact me to basically find the bag or if they didn't find it in two weeks and it got sent off to insurance. And then I had to like file a claim and all that stuff. Da, da, da. And so they wanted, they wanted an address where I would be staying, you know, up until that two week period. And I just told the lady, I, I, I don't know there's nothing planned in two weeks. I plan on being in Germany. I don't know. I, I have zero idea. Nothing's planned. Nothing's scheduled. And so, you know, she looked at me with these blank eyes, like, um, you're an idiot. And, you know, so I, I, you know, in my head, I was like, well, should we stay at this crappy, you know, Olympic stadium hostel with snoring, you know, crazy sync, synchronous, synchronic, um, Russian guys, like one would snore up and then one would snore down and then up and down just like all night long. And the the only thing Michael and I wanted to do after that first night of being there was get the hell out of there. 
But we're like, okay, let's just one more day, just in case they find it somewhere, and then the bag can be shipped to there. So we say one more night. Um, it was hell, like always, um, you know, like, like like we expected, because it just just stinky men, you know, not any kind of any kind of place they're from, just stinky. And so um, the next morning we um, made our way to uh, a town called or a city called Turku, which is on the western western um coast of west like a southwestern coast of finland and turkey was night and day different because what helsinki was in this giant city metropolis with people walking around everywhere a lot of a lot of blonde guys with top knots you know a lot lot like that it's very pretty you know going to a fortress and all that stuff was very pretty but going from that environment of metropolitan to a small harbor town was so welcome and so Got to Turku. Um, our hostel turned into um, a a real life boat ship that was built in 1960. Um, the SS Borea or Borea, um, I I call it Borea in the narration of the chapter. But um, <clears throat> and so we each had our own um, personal cabin, and that was beautiful. It was great. Um, it was every I I've I love boats. I don't know what it is about them. Um, you know everything from a little little skiff up to you know like up to like that that thing like you know like I, even the ferries we went on you know i just i just love anything nautical i'm not not even sure why when i was writing my um chasing the kingfish novel i made sure to have a uh, a little frame picture of um of this really awesome guy that I, i'm looking at right now actually um and it's from 1908 i think and it's called um um, what was it night, um, uh, night, uh, night moves after the, um, Bob Seger song. And so it's called night moves. If you're curious, you go to library of Congress, it's free, um, night moves. And it's this, uh, 1908 taken, but it's this guy who's probably, looks like he's like 80. He could be like 40. I don't know, but he, he looks like he's 80, you know, big old beard and, and his rubbers, you know, very new England looking hunched over, uh, a, a, a ship wheel. And so when I was, when I was um, re, um, writing Chasing the Kingfish, I made sure to have him looking at me and be like, okay, well, if there is a guy that I could talk to directly about this book and nautical anything, this is the kind of guy that would like know his shit and be like, no, this is, you're not, you're not writing it right. Or like, yeah, th- this is all that really happened. And so boats have been a really big part of my life. And, you know, there's definitely a, a point where I, I want to get, you know, experience enough in, in woodworking since I'm so, so close to my woodworking stuff that I want to build my own little sailboat. Um, and so maybe a couple of years, I think, think I'm getting close to that point where my, my joinery is getting pretty close to that. Um, anyway, and so Michael and I were on this big ship. And so it was pretty cool because being, you know, since we were staying on it, we had rain of basically, you know, I don't know, maybe like, like, like the entire, the entire first or not first, the entire floor that all the cabins were on, we had rain too. So we could like walk around the ship through the airtight or the watertight um, sealed doors and we can go around here and there and it just felt very 60s, you know, like that Cold War. Everything about Finland, just I just kept screaming Cold War at me and just a lot of like, you know, JFK and, you know, I'm I, I'm not sure in particular about how, how, um, how about Finland, but I would imagine they they're probably pretty close to um, Russia, so maybe weren't the best friends of us with us. But yeah, I just kept looking around and just being like, "This is so cool!" And the dark, the dark wood, 
stain and the bar was gorgeous and just it was so cool to be on that boat and such a relief to get away from that stinking literally stinking hostel of the, the um, 1952 olympics um so then we were there we kind of poked around turku um may have eaten a, a reindeer burger from a really sketchy lady but huh, we were fine it was good whatever it was we think it was reindeer i hope it was reindeer that'd be cool um the next morning we left the boat went into the sopping soaking rain and and found ourselves at a, at a ferry station with like it's almost like a titanic movie situation because we walk into this you know we, we pay our tickets we get, a, get onto the ferry you know some kind of viking viking name and we we go into this giant you know room full of people from from the from the sound of it this cacophony of just languages and people's ages and there's this beautiful mixture of people that there are some people that are speaking english very very well they're speaking people speaking russian speaking you know kind of the balkans thing you know a lot of like you know scandinavian people and it was it's awesome it was so cool to sit there and look around and seeing like you know parents with kids seeing really old people just like as a couple seeing really young people there's a vast amount of people they're just hanging out waiting for this ferry to get there And so the ferry arrives, we get aboard and it was my first, you know, first definitely European ferry, but also I think it might've been my first ferry. Well, no, I, I guess Alaska, I, I, I took a ferry back. So I went from, um, Juneau, Alaska down to, um, Bellingham, Washington on a ferry. So my second ferry ever. Um, but unlike the Alaskan ferry, which is very much like a, um, it was a lot more just like this is this is a transportation unit and that one was the first of the ones where i saw where it's like they wanted you to have a good time it was it was an it was an 11 hour voyage so people could have gotten cabins if they really wanted to and of course for money um but we decided just to wing it just be the hippie way and so it was already really early so we figured okay we'll just hang out and just you know find a spot, post up, and then we'll just get there in 11 hours. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so we uh, were kind of wandering around. People were everywhere. There was like, you know, there's this giant, not giant, but relatively giant, um, you know, food court area with like a cat, like a, you know, there's a coffee place and there is like food places and soup places. And there's like good, you know, really, really more higher, higher brow food. And there's very low, low brow food. There was a lot of coffee stations, you know, further down the way there was, um, you know, a lot of observation areas you can look out and just hang out with chairs. There is like a, um, like a, like a, like a lottery, like a, like a, um, crap, what is it called? Like, like, a, like a slot machine place. So people could like sit there and gamble and hang out. And there's also a, a big old, uh, place you could buy, you know, tax free, um, you know, goods, you know, mostly alcohol. And so, um, I think we bought a little bit of beer there. Um, but mostly we just like kind of hung out in the bottom for the first hour probably. And then we took off and the weather took a real big turn. And so it would got just black, just gray, 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 black. And so started just pouring rain, pissing rain. And so I just instantly just was like, oh my God, this is great. And just something in me was just like, oh my God, this reminds me of Alaska. This reminds me of adventure journeys adventure just like boiling and so i was like michael come on let's go let's just get, get, to the, get, get to the top as soon as possible so we go we go out and there's howling wind just crazy seas just, i mean like you know we were on a big big ferry so it didn't really affect us but these big old choppy seas 
and just wind slapping and rain just hitting us like crazy. And I was like, we have to the top. So we go, we get to the top deck. There's no one there at all. And, um, I, I mean, we, we just stand, we just stand holding onto the rail and just looking out into this gray fog and just, it was, there was a moment in Alaska. It was towards the, towards the end, probably like 80% of the way done with the trip. And I remember calling my girlfriend, Alex, which is now my wife and just bless her soul. She just listened. And I just extrapolated is the best way I could say, just vomited how much freedom I had and that I could do anything in the world and that every, anything is possible and that I could go anywhere in the world and I could just do anything I wanted to do. It's almost like, a, like a, electricity was shooting out of my fingertips at that moment in Alaska. And perhaps my brain's like, oh man, really crappy environment, you know, rain, wind, same thing. And so we were just sitting, you know, standing against this rail looking out. My long hair was at my shoulders and, you know, my flannel shirt was flapping and I just felt like, I mean, I guess I felt like like Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic, Titanic, just being like, I'm the king of the world. I can do anything I want. I'm doing this insane thing. And Michael is, you know, just was back there like, golly, this guy's freaking crazy. Um, and just, we're just, I was just taking it in. And I felt like I was the universe. I felt like I was just, just emitting electricity. Like I could do anything. I'm doing whatever I want to do. And I'm, do, I'm doing it. I'm living dreams. And so... Yeah, we were up there for probably, I don't know, 10 minutes and I was just like, Michael just kind of let me do my thing and just soaking wet. And then we turn around and there's this girl and her name is Petra from the Czech Republic. And um, we, we like, okay, hey, you're, you're, you're a person. Let's just hang out. So she was our age. And so we went down and got out of the rain and had some coffee and talked about stuff. And she was very cool. She's like in her, I don't know, mid twenties or whatever. And she's just a girl traveling. Um, and she was awesome. She was, she was very cool and very insightful and intelligent and just we had a good talk for like a couple hours and then she's okay well I'm, I'm gonna do my own thing and so she you know she went went in a corner read a book and then we went in the back and the other side of the ship and then we uh we were just hanging out and and i started jotting down notes and that's what i was saying that i think that might have, might have been the first time where i started taking value like okay well i do have a good memory for this kind of stuff but maybe i should really document you know minutiae and so that's when I got the idea of doing more of how my journal turned out to be, where instead of being like, oh, today I found this. No, it's like I I ended every single night with bullet, basically bullet points. And so, you know, like uh, last night I slept on a, on a boat hostel, woke up, had black coffee, uh, went through drizzling rain, um, got on a ferry, and just like these bullet points. And so it wasn't this like succinct thing. It wasn't like this, you know novellic writing where it's like oh i can publish my journal not not at all it's this bullet thing that's ugly and it's like it's not very intelligent and it's just this stuff where basically it's just like little snapshots of the day that trigger my memory and so if i if i look back at that you know like if, if i look back on like september 28th for instance you know whatever it is um like I, you know, I mean, I have the pictures now to like, you know, like, okay, I can look back and think about that kind of stuff. But until I, but now I have this perfect thing where at the time it was really brilliant. And so I have like these, the, like these bullet point words, 
I can go back and look at the actual photos I took, took, took of that day. And then between the two of them, I had this crystal clear memory of exactly what happened that day and time. And so it's pretty, pretty cool. And I thought about publishing the, um, the photo book with that journal pieces, but it was just like this journal isn't built for consumption. It's built for me to kind of use it as a tool. And so when it came to time to actually write the book, Room to Room was really nice because there it was. It was, it, it was, it, it was in my face. It was it's in my hand and I could actually like, you know, touch it. And, and I, it took me right back to that time when I was, okay, well, this is what, what happened. You know, Pet, Petra's hair was short and brown. You know, she had this look to her. She was, was from the, the Czech Republic. Like she, you know, was reading whatever book or whatever. And it's just like, like little things that, you know, as a writer you pick up on and just like we look at weird stuff. Like a book someone's reading doesn't matter to anybody else, but, you know, that says a lot about the person. And so, you know, I guess in this such instance, I'm a, I'm a travel writer. And so it's like looking at that stuff and taking notes of that stuff. And it just, you'll never be able to remember that perfectly. But if you take little notes and make it bullet wise, you save, you save a lot of space and you save a lot of time because what my biggest thing was when doing a journal and the reason why I didn't want to do a journal is because I was so spontaneous and I, I wanted to be, you know, ah, but ultimately what happens is that you start getting lazy too. Like I know I was because I had my tablet with me and, and I was going to use it for whatever, but I didn't know what to use it for. You know, it's like, well, I have this technology. The The camera is easy because anything pretty or thing that I think is cool, I take a picture of. But a journal is such a, like a, you know, it's like journaling, adventuring, they go hand in hand. But not everyone is really good at journaling. You know, some people are great at it. Some people can sit, sit down at night and take a half an hour, whatever it takes, you know, to contemplate what they saw and actually write it out person like me though I for some reason there's a block and so I'm like I don't want to write it down and so I instead I had it on my phone so I had a, a note-taking app and I was okay well just you know either as I'm going to sleep at night or in the morning or whatever I could quickly just jot 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 and have like you know five six seven points and you know the things that and it kind of makes it filter because only the things that are really important are actually what go on the bullet points and so you know, that worked for me. And so again, with the, with the bullet point journal situation, plus the the photographs, it just really helped do that thing. The fairy, you know, got to, got to Stockholm, Sweden with this beautiful purple and pink sunset. Um, and we saw the skyline and just were like, oh my God, we're just, we're doing it. Like it is every single day, every single new place was this, this overlaying brick in the face of being like, oh my God, we're doing this thing. And we're doing it to this, this weird, you know, extension of, you know, what we thought we were doing and then what is actually happening. And it's just beautiful and it's reality. And that's why a, a book had to be written about it because there is no, there's no way that, you know, I, I could, I could have all these stories and just not do anything with them. Um, along the way, you know, hidden in the bowels of my tablet in my backpack were, was the skeleton of what would become chasing the kingfish about Alaska. But up until then, I knew I wanted to write something. I knew I wanted to do something with literature and, you know, make, write books and write stories. It wasn't until that ferry ride to Sweden that I started thinking, okay, well, this is actually a book. And so it's so cool because when you start having all these ideas and you, just, you have this yearning to tell these stories and you're like, well, these stories are really important to me. 
And I think they're really interesting to you, whoever you are. Um, and so it, it's really kind of, it's really pretty cool when you, when you take your notes, you take the, your experiences and you take all this stuff and you can package it into this beautiful, you know, time capsule that people a hundred years from now might pick up, you know, a person might find it, you know, similar across some cardboard box and there's another oh, book. There you go. Cool. There's this book about Europe in, you know, 2015. So that's, that's the power of it. And, and that's, what's so cool about, you know, being a person um, that likes to tell stories and likes that love stories, you know, so in, you know, intensely because it's this, it's this time capsule and this time machine that takes you right back to how I was feeling on that ferry. And it, and it shows like that power of, of storytelling and how it doesn't matter what the vehicle is and that'll, that'll, that'll change technology and the tools we have in the future. But the, the idea of storytelling and creativity is such a innate human thing. We've had it forever. We'll have it forever. Um, just the idea of taking the experiences and stories of one person and being able to, with language and with writing, transmit your ideas into somebody else's head. However many years in the future or however many miles in, in distance, you, you know, my ideas can, can change somebody else's ideas. And that's powerful. Um, I bring it up because we, we just watched this really cool documentary on um, PBS, Public Broadcasting, about um, how, how writing changed the world. And it's really poignant because, you know, this, this podcast is just starting out. And, you know, I'm talking about I'm doing the audiobook for my, the first book I wrote and all this writing stuff. So it's you know, just totally invading my brain constantly. And so there's this, this documentary on. And so we watched the first part of it last week. Um, it was so cool because it talked about how, well, there are two sides, either the Egyptians were the first to really create a true written language, or the Sumerians were, uh, it depends on which camp you're in. But um, there's a lot of like hieroglyphic talk and a lot of like, you know, the, the storytelling has been around forever, you know, as, as, as it, it was imperative for living, surviving, um, and just keeping traditions alive and cultures alive. But also, it was the first time if someone, if someone could put down their ideas and transmit that idea into somebody else's head, like I just said, with some form of, of writing, that's the most important tool besides survival tools that humans ever, ever created. You know, fire is huge. Without that, we, we would just be a very different beast. But with writing, though, we, it became, became this tool, became, a, became this way of like making us immortal. And they, they, they had this um, interesting point I, I brought, up, brought up at work, with my colleagues, all my nerdy biology colleagues, and how interesting it was that, that one of the biggest vaults of, of, early, of early writing we, we have as humans is, is in Egypt, and it's, about, it's, in, it's within this pharaoh's tomb. And the writing and, and early hieroglyphics is um is basically they're basically spells they're 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 spells to bring back this pharaoh from the dead and it's interesting because as as someone that likes like the like stories a lot definitely egyptian lore um you know the in reality in real life the pharaoh and his people truly believe that the pharaoh could come back to life if the right person 
you know, spoke this incantation. But in reality, what happened is that that Pharaoh became a version of being immortal because due to these spells being on the walls everywhere, like covering this entire tomb, his name pops up so many times. And so here we are, you know, 4,000 years later, speaking his name. So he has become immortal because this tomb is a, this tomb is a, a huge linguistic, historical, archaeological find and significance. And so this pharaoh, who died a long, long time ago, is getting spoken about. And so, and now my wife and I just watched it, you know, in 2020. And we, we I mean, his name's right there. So it, it's interesting, and it's just kind of interesting timing because I was thinking about doing this episode, and then then that that um, documentary came out, and so it's really interesting um, timing. But it's so interesting that uh, that just you know writing makes make it's like a, it's a weird form of immortality, kind of like children are, you know, the whole DNA thing. You know, as a biologist, that's really fun because you know. Our, our, bio, our, our biological imperative in life is to is to live just long enough to reach sexual maturity, find a mate, you know, have as many babies as you can, and then within each of those babies, your offspring is is your is you know is a half of your DNA. So through your kids, you are in a, in a strange way biologically immortal. Because as long as you have a child of your own, then your DNA is passed along. And so it, it's really, it's one of those weird things where you think about that kind of a longevity and, you know, just that procreation of ideas and people and genetic material. And it's all this weird, you know, pushing forward. And just, it's really interesting. And you, you can read books from so long ago. And um, now with this new medium of audio taking over and making it so easily available and readily available, you know, I can literally talk to you and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, but if you're listening to this and you're hearing my words and my ideas, it, it, it's transmitting into your, into your ears and your brain. So it just got me to think about all this, this stuff and, you know, the kind of the impetus of room to roam starting out in a ferry going from Finland to Sweden. And then, you know, here you are five years later with my two kids in bed and then I'm listening I'm watching this documentary about writing and then it comes back full circle to this audio thing and it's just this really weird trip of like wow like what a what a fascinating bunch we humans are so I guess that'll be the end of it <laughs> and I'll, I'll leave you with that um, so I'm going to ponder over deeply in uh, wherever you are right now you um, next up will be uh, chapter four of Room to Rome, um, Sweden, part one. It was so big, I had to chop, chop it in two. So thanks again, as always, for listening to this. If you made it this far, you're amazing. I deeply appreciate it. Um, cheers to the night. Um, good night, October 2nd. Thank you. <laughs>